Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Once you and I even were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior, but now he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God, we are grateful for the good gift of your grace that we were lost, we were alienated, we were far off. And at that very time, when we could not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, when we couldn't possibly piece together goodness out of our life, when we had nothing good going for us, well, you looked at us in that very moment and said, I love them. So uh, we're just we're recipients of that. We're grateful for it. We, we recognize and admit that we don't deserve it, but we are just so grateful for it. So we bless our time together. So we open up your word uh, to continue our worship today. Will you be honored and glorified? We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to continue on in the book of Acts for uh, chapter 14 today. And uh, today, as I kind of looked at Acts and, and said, what might it be um, coming back from vacation? I had to get a little, little oomph, had to get my wheels turning again. And the thing that kept coming to mind was endurance. Uh, and, and so I want to start our time out together with a story. Now, you guys know this full well. Got a couple pastors here, uh, both named Jordan. And uh, in a lot of ways, that's where the similarities begin and end. Jordan, that Jordan, is an avid runner. Uh, this Jordan is whatever the opposite of an avid. I'm an avid sitter, I guess you could say. Um, so if this story was to come from one of us, surely it would be the other one. But today, I want to tell you a story about a marathoner, Okay. Uh, and this is, I'm going to do a little bit of reading here because this is straight from the Olympic website and they tell it uh, better than I could. So, <laughs> John Stephen Aquari was never likely to win the men's marathon in the Olympics. But his chances were wrecked when, perhaps because of the effects of the high altitude, he succumbed to the cramps that slowed his progress down. Uh, so he's uh, the is Mexico City. I can't remember when, but the Mexico City Olympics. He's from uh, a country in Africa, and uh, he shows up, and his training just flies out the window. And he's gotten these cramps, and he's slowed down. Like I said at the beginning, he was never like a, a front runner in people's minds. But if you're at the Olympics. I've always said this, that like, that's like world-class athletes, regardless of how poorly they do at the Olympics. I saw something, and it was joking, but I would love to see it at some point. I saw something that was like, we just need an average person in every race at the Olympics, just to get perspective on what we're working with here. Uh, and so, again, not, not a world-class runner, but not uh, projected to win. <laughs> but then he, his body begins to cramp. And that's super painful. And then they're in this turn, and they're jockeying for position. 
And uh, it, he falls into even more pain when in the jockeying for position, there's melee going on, and they all trip each other up, and he falls, lacerating a big gash on his knee and dislocating his kneecap. It makes me cringe. So Aquari falls to the ground, gashes his knee, dislocating it, and he smashes his shoulder against the pavement. Most observers, seeing his injuries, assume that he would pull out and go to the hospital. <coughs> Instead... He receives medical attention on the spot and returns to the course to continue his race. His pace, of course, is much slower, but it was his resolve to compete, uh, complete the event remained intact. So at the beginning of the race, there were 75 starters, and because of uh, various things and this tussle, people falling to the ground, 18 of them at this point dropped out, and he was determined not to be, uh, not to be the 19th. And so... Uh, the winner crosses, they've moved the, the finish line, they, they've moved on. And, and uh, several hours later, Tanzania's Aquari crossed the finish line in last place. And how marathons work is they, they do a, a, a course on city streets, and then the last little bit to get an audience around it, the last little bit, they usually go a tunnel into the track and, and we'll go around that. And the finish line is the finish line of the track. And so we get this picture, and it's, I think it was from the 70s. This is grainy film. And Aquari enters the track and people are like, oh, I guess this is the guy from the marathon. He's still going and he's all bandaged up and he looks like he should not be running a marathon and it was, it's, I mean, it's on the Olympic website for a reason. It's one of those moments where, like, this, I don't know if there is a movie made about it, but there should be, because that good, and everyone's clapping and cheering, and it's just, like, triumph of the human will. And he runs, and he finishes the race. Now, obviously, this is a feel-good story, and so people are wanting to interview him. Mm, excuse me. And when asked why he would carried on through this, uh, his response is this. He's from Tanzania. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. My country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. And stories like this, I mean, I'm, I'm a junkie for the non-cheesy uh, inspirational sports movies like Miracle and uh, Remember the Titans, like stuff like that where it's like, this is, this is good stuff. Uh, and stories like this really begin to motivate us. And are like, yeah, I could probably go run a marathon now. Like I could, I could probably, I mean, if he could do it, I could do it. Um, but I think they inspire us so much because we in our lives are constantly up against opposition. Like things in our lives are rarely perfect. And there's something about this endurance that we see displayed in Aquari's life that we're like, I need a dose of that in my life. I'm tired. I feel like I'm running ragged. I feel like I can barely piece my life together enough to move forward and maybe what God has called you to do. We need that grit. We need that determination. We need that endurance to live the lives that we have that are often filled with, with hardships and hard things that we have to go through. And I think this isn't just like school's really hard right now or, or work really, is really hard, but I think uh, there's something to be said about our walks and our relationships with Jesus. I've said this early and I've said this often. Following Jesus is never complicated. 
It's never complicated. It's pretty simple to follow Jesus, but it is rarely, is rarely easy to follow Jesus. When we have cultural opposition and, and the world is against us, it's, it's rarely easy to follow Jesus, but it's never complicated. It's a simple like trust and obey, trust and obey, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for us. And so uh, there's so many things that we could encounter in our lives that make following Jesus Make following the way of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, difficult for us. And if we're being frank with one another, the American church has experienced a, uh, a season of, like, blissful existence. We're like, yeah, things haven't always been perfect by any means, but it's been, like, fairly normative in our culture to be a Jesus follower. That's a good thing. That's a blessing. But I think if we're being honest with each other, we feel the tide turning a little bit in our culture, specifically here in the States. And that's fine. That's fine. But I think it's going to begin to become increasingly more difficult as the cultural uh, stuff begins shed off of the church and there's some refining going on. It's going to get a little bit harder as time goes on uh, to identify as a follower of Jesus and not have negative repercussions on our lives. I want to be clear, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. The church has historically flourished when her back is against the wall. So like when there is persecution in Acts, what do we see? Uh, Stephen gets stoned and, and the church scatters. And what happens? The gospel gets proclaimed in so many more areas and it flourishes. And then you see the reverse uh, in the Roman Empire when Constantine uh, got uh, saved and, and surrendered and said, this, Christianity is now, the, uh, is now the, the government's religion. We're given a thumbs up and there's no more persecution. And like that's, that seems like a wonderful thing. But what happened? The church uh, kind of moved into decline a little bit, even though it was nationally recognized. Everyone was given a thumbs up to it. So we're, we're headed into a season and maybe it's going to be a really long season that things are really, really difficult for us as Jesus followers. And my encouragement to us today is to endure. So maybe we're moving into a season where uh, friends are going to go, you're, you're, you're a Christian? You're following, away, you're following Jesus? You're, you're living your lives by those outdated and antiquated principles? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm done with you. You might lose friends. There might be circumstances, increasingly, that, that we as Jesus followers are, are faced with threats of physical violence uh, on our lives because, because we've said yes to Jesus. There might be people that slander you, that your name in this town becomes mud because you associate with, with Jesus. There might be situations where, where again, you, you feel like you're isolated, and this is all on top of stuff. This is just like, we've said yes to Jesus, and so we're going to have to endure hard things. And then there's stuff that hard things happen to you for no other reason than the world is fallen. You get a diagnosis. You, you, you lose a loved one. All of the stuff is just like, this is the brokenness of the world come, uh, come into fruition. So what do we do when we're continually pushed up against these hardships? I think scripture is fairly clear that we, we might ought to be concerned, in fact, if our lives are not pushed up against any hardships. 
Like if your life is just sitting fat and sassy and everything is perfect for you, you begin to then have to ask the question to yourself, have I cozied up to the ways of the world so much that I don't ever feel like I'm, I'm fighting back the darkness? Acts is filled, I talked about this, Acts is filled with stories of people who are choosing to endure really, really difficult situations because they, they have a hope beyond what they're experiencing right now. Stephen. Stephen walks into the midst of people who, who are saying, we don't like the things that you're saying. And he goes, well, let me tell you why you killed the author of life. And then what happens to him? They throw rocks at him until he's dead. People are out for early Christians' lives. Persecution breaks out, and what do they do? They respond with joy. There was a time in prayer uh, that, that they're all engaging in prayer for the persecuted church in Acts, and it says they came away from a, a situation of persecution uh, rejoicing, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are a really, really good example for us of what it means to follow God, to have endurance, to endure hard things. So let me set it up for us. In um, the first part of Acts 14, um, they're in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas. They're beginning to do the missionary journey thing. They're taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and the Jews are still not happy about this by any means. And so the Jews begin to gather some people around. They're like, hey, this is, this is no good. Uh, let's, let's be against them. Um, they don't like the message. They don't like that they're saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they begin to, to stir up some conflict. And so Paul and Barnabas run, and, uh, and they fled. And here's what it says in verse 6. It says, they fled to uh, the Lysonian cities of Ly- Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding co- uh, country where they continued to preach the gospel. So they're fleeing from persecution, and all along the way, they never once stop to, to go, eh, maybe we should quiet down, let things settle a little bit. No, on the way, while they're going, uh, they continue to preach the gospel. Then they get to Lystra and they get to Derby, and uh, they see brokenness. They see hardships in Lystra and Derby, and they say, uh, there, there's a man um, who, who was lame. He can't walk. He'd been that way from birth, and Paul and Barnabas heal him by the power of God's Spirit. Again, they're running from persecution. They don't want to stop thinking about other people. They don't, ever, they don't look inwardly. They continue to pour out God's blessing on people. And so uh, they heal this person, but uh, in Lystra and Derby, they run up against this little uh, situation where they begin to get worshipped. People start to assume that, like, oh, they must be some sort of deity, now, for us to understand this, because it seems a little bit strange, there was some folklore uh, going on in Lystra and Derby that uh, Zeus and Hermes had come down to visit and were, received no hospitality. And so they go from house to house to house, and no one will welcome them in. And so eventually they make it to this old couple, and uh, the, they go to the old couple, and the old couple takes them in, they make them a meal, and they show them great hospitality, and, uh, and so Zeus and Hermes, the, the story goes, Zeus and Hermes uh, transforms them and blesses them and gives them all this good stuff. 
And uh, this story was prolific. And so when they see someone with the spiritual power to heal someone who couldn't walk, nobody wants to miss out on it this time. And they go, oh, okay, let's... So they get the, the, the priest and the, they get bulls and they're trying to sacrifice to him. And Paul and Barnabas the whole time are like, no, this is, we are not gods. We are men just like you. There's no difference aside from the hope that we have within us. And they begin to plant these little gospel seeds um, of like, hey, there's, there's one God and uh, he's the author of life and he loves us and he gives us good things. And they're beginning to do this uh, cultural contextualization thing. And then guess who shows up again uh, if it's not the Jews ready to stir up more conflict? And so uh, they stir up more conflict. And at the end, uh, verse like 17, 18, 19, um, we'll start in verse 19. Then Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. <coughs> Paul threatened in one city, says, okay, I'll leave, takes the gospel with him as he goes, continues to proclaim the good news of Jesus as he goes, gets to the new city. People try and worship him. He talks them down off that ledge. The Jews rile him up in this new city, and then he receives stoning. Again, throwing rocks at him until he is perceived to be dead. They wanted to silence him. And what does Paul do in the midst of hardship? What does Paul do in the midst of threats? What does Paul do in the midst of violence? Verse 20 was so telling for me this week. <clears throat> he receives all this stuff. All this stuff happens to him. And verse 20 says this. But after the disciples gather around him, he got up. And he went back into the city. He got up and he went back into the city. If I'm being frank with you, if I'm being honest, if I'm Paul, I'm not going back into that city. If, if this was Jordan in the book of Acts, and it says, and the Jews stirred him up, and they stoned Jordan, and they perceived him to be dead, and they threw him out. Verse 24, me would say, and so he ran with his tail between his legs far, far away from the people who had just tried to kill him for the things he was saying. That's not what it says. It doesn't say he ran away. It doesn't say he kind of went to hiding so that he could just like let things settle down a little bit. He got up and he went back into the city. And that just begs the question for us, where does this sort of endurance come from? Where does this sort of love for, I'm going to put this in quotes because we talked about this uh, several weeks ago, that we don't have, as Jesus followers, we don't have enemies, okay? We have one. It's not of this world. Princes, powers, darkness, principalities. It's not the people that we see around us, okay? We do not have enemies, where does this sort of love of enemy come from, though? That you can say, life stinks. People are trying to kill me. My life, I, like I'm a wanted person because of the beliefs that I have and the things that I say, because I'm being faithful to the way of Jesus. Uh, and, and where does this sort of endurance come from? 
And you, I just have to believe, as you see Paul's life, as you see uh, the, the narrative of Scripture, you just have to believe that this sort of endurance, this sort of triumphal attitude to go, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, no weapon formed against me may prosper. I'm going to endure through hard things, can only come from a deep trust and an abiding in who Jesus is. A realization that because Jesus is who he says he is, that the hardships of right now pale in comparison to the hope of the future. Paul says this in, uh, to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So if we're following Jesus, if we're faithful to Jesus, things are going to be difficult. In fact, but also, if you're not following Jesus, that doesn't mean your life's going to be easy either. It's not like once you sign up for the Jesus train, your, life's, uh, your life then gets hard. Life is hard all the time, so you might as well get on team Jesus if it's going to be hard because there's a hope on the other side of that. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in the midst of the difficult, the rest just seems to find and fit itself into the proper context. That yes, it might be hard, and yes, it might be painful, but it pales in comparison to the hope of what we have coming down the pipeline. That the beauty and the goodness of God is a beauty and a goodness that we get to abide in forever and ever. And so here's the hope that we have. The hope that we have is if it is painful, if it is hard, if what you're enduring through right now is difficult, I don't want to minimize that. This is a lot of hardships that we have to endure. Amanda and I have had stuff in our lives where we just look at each other and we're like, this stinks. This stinks right now. But here's the hope that we have. If it's hard, it's not forever. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. We fix our eyes on the hope that is to come. That, yeah, there's stuff that stinks right now, but there's a better, there's a more good that's coming on the other side of this life. So in the time we have remaining, here's what I want us to do. Because I, I bet as, as I've talked about hardships and I've talked about endurance and I've talked about what it means to endure through hardships, I bet there's been my uh, situations kind of rattling through your brain. That when I say hardship, uh, you, something instantly comes to the top of your mind. And I want us to have that hardship uh, come in, in its proper context with what God says about it. And so I'm going to invite Jeff to come up, and he's just going to, he's going to play uh, some stuff behind me. And I just want us to encounter God's word today and meditate on, yeah, things, things might be hard. But what does God say about those hard things? What does God say in the midst of those situations? That there is, a, there is hope on the other side of the heart. And so I'm going to walk us through some scripture. And I just want you, in light of whatever situation comes to your mind when, you're, when you think about having to endure 
I want you to then mesh those up to, to what, what Scripture says. So I'm going to open this time in prayer, and then we're going to walk through some Scriptures together. So Jesus, we, we're grateful. We're grateful that hardships are temporary, but your goodness, your presence is forever. And so God, help us now, even in the midst of difficulties and pain and sorrow. Help us fix our eyes on you. We love you. Lord, will you allow us now to just experience a taste of your presence? We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So draw that situation to mind. And... uh, If you want to draw a circle around yourself, close your eyes, do whatever you need to do to to focus in during this time. Let's read what God's word says about this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James goes on to say, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. Because just in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down to the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count it as blessed those who have persevered. 
You've heard about Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will. But take heart, for Jesus has overcome the world. Paul writing to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, persecution, sufferings, all what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, the things we talked about today. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being, and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom learned, you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. One more time, Paul's words from Corinthians. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the light. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God, will you, through the power of your spirit, illuminate this scripture in our hearts? God, we admit that sometimes life is too much to bear, but we surrender in those moments to you. And Lord, will you give us spiritual eyes to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, which is eternal. Lord, help us in the midst of sorrow and hopelessness, persecution and hardship. Lord, give us a supernatural endurance that the hard that we're living through, the hard that we're experiencing is not forever, but you are. And that is our hope. 
God, we love you. We trust you. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.